0: This sermon content comes from Mercy Village Church located in Barbersville, West Virginia and you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church If you've seen uh, the uh, just amazing film, really uh, I don't know, it's not amazing, I'm being somewhat sarcastic, uh, but I enjoyed it. Rocky yeah, won you've been there? So he fights Apollo Creed, you remember this? So he's a young upstart from the streets He. uh He kind of learns how to box, he's discovered, and uh, he actually turns out to be quite a boxer. And eventually he's going to fight the heavyweight champion of the world, Apollo Creed. Apollo Creed has never been beaten. Nobody's ever even gone the distance with Apollo Creed. Nobody's gone 15 rounds with Apollo Creed. And so Rocky, I don't know if you remember, I'll try to set the scene for him, he's in the Coliseum where this match is going to be. There's two giant banners hanging from the ceiling. One is Apollo Creed, and and one is Rocky. And and Rocky actually has this exchange there. He's kind of in this empty, the the night before the fight, he's in this empty coliseum, standing there in the ring in his leather bomber jacket, you know, thing. And uh, I guess the ring, or the coliseum manager walks through, and he he feels the need to tell him that the short colors are wrong in the in the banner, those aren't the right color shorts, That's the, they're, they're white with red, or red with white, I don't remember which, which was the opposite of what was in the poster. And the manager says to him, hey, it doesn't really matter, does it, Rocky? The point being, you're outmatched, and you're going to lose this fight anyway. And Rocky believes it, he gets home, and I often remember this exchange, but he's there with Adrian... He sits down on the edge of the bed and he says to her, he says, I can't do it. She says, what? He says, I can't beat him. She says, Apollo? He says, yeah. I've been out there walking around thinking, I mean, who am I kidding? I ain't even in this guy's league. What are we going to do, Adrian says. Rocky says, I don't know. She says, you've worked so hard. He says, yeah, that don't matter. Because I was nobody before. Adrian said, don't say that. And then he says this. He says, oh, come on, Adrian. It's true. I was nobody. But that doesn't matter matter either, you know, because I was thinking it really doesn't matter if I lose this fight. It really doesn't matter if this guy opens my head either because all I want to do is go the distance. Remember that? All I want to do is go the distance. He's laying down on his pillow at this point as he says that to her. Nobody's ever gone the distance Creed. And if I can go the distance, you see, and that bell rings and I'm still standing, I'm going to know for the first time in my life, see, that I weren't just another bum from the neighborhood. Paulo Creed wants to prove that he ain't a bum. That's his motivation in this fight. He no longer desires to win. He just wants to prove that he ain't a bum. Timothy Keller, a pastor out of uh, New York, Many of you maybe heard his name. He postulates, and I think correctly, that all of us in this life are like Rocky. We're trying to prove to someone that we aren't a bone. That's what motivates us so oftentimes. We might not say it like that, but we're trying to prove ourselves to someone in our lives. Maybe it's our parents, maybe it's a spouse, a neighbor, a co worker. Someone in your church family, or a sibling, or, or social media, or even ourselves, we want to prove to ourselves that we ain't a bone. So that motivates us. We're motivated to do A, B, or C in our lives to prove to X, Y, or Z that we're worthy. That we're worthy. Even if it's to God Himself, we're trying to prove that we're worthy. The Bible pushes back against that desire. The Bible pushes back against that desire to prove that we aren't bums. It says to us, the children of God and His kingdom will actually look like fools to the world. The Bible tells us that those who, who follow after Christ will look like bums and weaklings and lowly people to the world. That's not good news. That doesn't feel like good news. In fact, that, that kind of feels harsh, right? Because so much of our life is given to proving that we aren't those things. So that pushes back against us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26-31 push back against that. But they come with a prize, too. So much of the Christian life, by the way, is that. These beautiful, glorious, wonderful truths, gifts prizes from God, right? Wrapped up in this wrapping paper that makes us say, "Um, no. Right? Like, think about just the basic tenet of the gospel that you and I are sinners. Sinners. Oh. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to take ownership of that. That's the wrapping paper that makes me think, oh, um, no. I don't want that. But when you open up that wrapping paper the gift inside is Jesus saves sinners. I want that gift. But to receive that gift, I have to own the other piece of the gospel that's not so hard to digest that I'm sent. So much of the gospel is that. Pieces, things presented to us that are like, oh, I don't know about that. But we have to own them to receive all the beautiful and glorious parts of the gospel. Here's the prize, right? We are people, yes, who are trying to work Walk more and more in faithfulness to God. Which means we're okay being perceived as fools. We're okay being pursued, per, perceived as nothings. We're okay being perceived as weak. As long as we're following after Jesus. And the prize for that is this. It is God's good pleasure to give His kingdom to fools. It is God's good pleasure to give His kingdom to fools and then to make those fools into richly blessed sons and dogs. That's the gospel. Father, today, what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. In the beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You have to understand the culture in the time of the church at Corinth. Paul writes this letter to them, his first of two letters to them. In a time where honor-shame culture, right, as we would uh, maybe understand it, those who are familiar with that term, was at its peak. That your honor in this life would be gained, right, by your performance, by your possessions, by your accomplishments. That's how you would have honor. And if you didn't have those positions, that power, those... uh, Assets and resources, then you would be shamed. And so arrogance and contempt were the currency of choice in those days. If you had all the stuff that brought you honor, you could be arrogant in your life. If you didn't have all that stuff that brought you honor, then you felt uh, embittered towards those who did. Fast forward to 2021. And things look a a lot different in certain ways, but they look exactly the same in a lot of ways. We may be more individualistic than ever as as a first world society, right? There's really no hero narratives left in Western culture except for the hero narrative where you're the hero of your story. Where you figure out who you're supposed to be and then whatever anybody else says, you go and be who you're supposed to be. You find pleasure the way that that you feel is the right way to find pleasure. You find joy and and identity the way that you feel led to. But it's still rooted in honor and shame. It's still influenced by our cultural standards, which are shifting all the time about what it means to be a good person, what it means to to be a powerful person, what it means to be a successful person. And so our culture still... uh, works in an honor and shame way. And in both places, the uh, cities of the city of Corinth and right here in Barbersville, West Virginia today, the gospel is still foolishness to the world. The gospel is still wacky. The gospel is still weird to the world around us. And it is into that place that this message comes. Paul says, don't worry, actually, because most of you, most of us, weren't that great to begin with. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. Remember that moment that the gospel made sense to you and you responded saying, I will follow after Jesus. At that moment, brothers, sisters, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful according to worldly standards. Not many of you were of noble birth according to worldly standards. He ticks off a couple things here. He says, according to the cultural norms and ways of thinking, not many of you were wise, learned, clever, experienced. You didn't have that pedigree, right? You weren't powerful. You weren't networked, you weren't influential, you didn't have a ton of followers on Instagram, you didn't have connections with powerful people, you couldn't leverage yourself to to make things happen. And you weren't of noble birth, you weren't blue-blooded, you weren't uh, well-born. Most of us still today are not that. Now, some of us are more influential than others, some of us clearly... uh, because I'm part of us, are wiser than others, you most of you probably wiser than me. Uh, some of us were born into uh, some privileges and some gifts. But but again, if you compare us to the top strata of our society, the, the vast majority of us, if not all of us, are not even close to those those people. Who are the most powerful and the, considered the most wise and the most noble among us. But yet we still try to shirk that off. Instead of owning the fact that we're not the wisest or the most powerful or the most noble, we still try to shirk it off. We'll say things about ourselves. Well, I'm street smart, right? Like, I might not have a degree from Harvard, but I'm street smart. I've got that. I might not have power, but in my life, I'm assertive. I can go out and get what I want. People say things like, that person punches above their weight, right? Kind of saying, where they are, there's somebody who gets it done. That person doesn't take crap from anybody. And we will curate our lives in such a way, the stories we tell about ourselves, the things we share on social media, the way we present ourselves in conversations, trying to push back against our unworthiness and present our own worthiness. We control our own personal kingdom and we're worthy of the affections of others. We present ourselves as such. Here's the problem, Paul says, many of you were not these things. Now, some were, but the majority weren't. And here's why there's exceptions to this. God saves wise, powerful people by the world's standards all the time. He does it. But if you read the Gospels, you see that there's a barrier there for the people of God. You see, God loves people who know they're bones, and God loves people who think they're not bones. But you know who oftentimes doesn't give a rip if God loves them? People who don't think they're bones. People who don't think they need help. People who aren't desperate for salvation or rescue. If you think that you don't need God's love, then you don't give a rip that he loves you. Or if you think you're already worthy of his love, then of course he loves you. Look how special you are. Look how important you are. Of course he he loves you. God pushes back against that too. None of us are worthy in and of ourselves of of God's love. We're all bums by kingdom standards. Maybe not all of us were bums according to the world's standards, but all of us were bums according to the kingdom standard. How uplifting is this, by the way? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have fallen short of God's standards. All of us have fallen short of His wisdom, His power, His noble birth. And yes, Jesus saves us positionally. And that's the beauty of the gospel. In Christ, he looks at you and no longer sees a bone. He sees sons and daughters. He sees the righteousness of of Christ, the finished work of Jesus. But lest we forget, the Apostle Paul reminds us later in Romans, that we still have a susceptibility to act like bums, to act like sinners, to act like people who are not worthy of Of God's love. Even though positionally we're saved, we're in Christ, our salvation is secure, we still don't always live like that's true in our lives. Paul, who wrote so much of your New Testament, who was an apostle, there's only 12, arguably maybe 13 of those in the universe, the history of the universe, right? Who saw the risen Christ and were able to write scripture raise the dead, heal the sick, survive snake bites. right? Like, this guy is still in touch with the fact that he has a susceptibility to not be a perfect person. He has a susceptibility to still live in broken and busted ways. He said, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. This guy wrote Scripture. He said, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Wretched man that I am, Paul, the apostle, author of Scripture, says, Who will deliver me from this body of death? Here's the joyful news of verse 26. And I'm not saying that tongue-in-cheek. Here's the beautiful news of verse 26. And I'm not being sarcastic when I say that. We're all bums. That's the good news. The good news is we're all bums. That means you don't got to be rocky. Gently, lovingly, rest in that truth. You don't have anything to prove. You don't. If you are in Christ today, you have nothing to prove. Your social media account doesn't have to look a certain way. The diplomas on your wall don't have to be from certain places. The paychecks you deposit in your bank account at the end of the week or the month don't have to be a certain number. You have nothing to prove. That's good news. The better news is this. God gives his foolish kingdom to bums. Hear me today say this lovingly and know that I preach this to myself all week. When we try so hard to prove that we aren't bums, we're doing the same thing as saying, "Hey, we're not sons and daughters of God." What I mean by that is if the kingdom comes to people who are willing to admit their brokenness, if the kingdom comes to people who are willing to admit their sin, who are willing to admit the ways in their life that they're bums, then when we try to prove to the world we're not bums, we're acting the exact opposite of those who call God Father. Those who call God Father are in touch with the fact that they used to be bums before Jesus and they still have a susceptibility to being bums even now. That makes us desperate for Jesus. That makes us know that we need him and so God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. Our God is the king of fools. I'm thankful for that. Listen, I don't know who else is ready to admit it today, but I am. I'm a fool. You have no idea how wretched my heart has been during this transitional process in this space. I could never tell you. I couldn't tell you. Maybe one day I'll tell you. Y'all just think. His heart? <clears throat> is that wretched? Yeah. It is. I still have a susceptibility to being a bum. That's good news. Because God is the king of fools like me, of weaklings like me, of nothings like me, of bums like me. God chose, God handpicked his people. God came running after you when you had nothing to give him. God came running after you and he flipped the script. He looked at me and he said, The world thinks that one's a fool. I'll have him. I'll have him. And he welcomes us into a kingdom, right, where the foolishness of, remember Logan Tennell, some of y'all were here, church plant resident from Redemption Church, was with us over the summer. He preached this passage right before where we're at. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men, highlighting the foolishness of the cross, that the cross was just in the world's eyes, a foolish plan, death, right, will bring life. That doesn't even make sense. That's foolishness. That's our kingdom that we're a part of. We're a kingdom where the people of God think dying is a pathway to living. We're a kingdom where people think sacrifice brings security. We're part of a kingdom where people think servanthood brings honor. We're part of a kingdom where people think self-denial brings glory because that's what our Savior proclaimed and lived with His life. That's foolishness to the world. God looked at me, God looked at you, child of God, and said, that one looks like a weakling. I'll have it in my kingdom. The people of God are called to surrender their preferences. The people of God are called to outdo one another in showing kindness. you want to get pegged as a weakling in society, you start yielding your preferences to other people. You start racing instead of giving honor for yourself to show honor to other people and see what happens. You'll get paid a weakling right away. I promise. God looked at us and said, The world thinks that one's nothing. I'll have them in my kingdom. Jesus' followers, he said to them before he would die, He said, The world has hated me. And they're going to hate you too. Again, not super encouraging news, but he says that's going to be part of it. So might we be people, he says, who give up the throne and pick up the towel. Remember Jesus before his death? He's not, right? All the disciples are trying to say was going to be first in the kingdom. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't go for the crown. Don't go for the throne. Go for the towel. And he washes their feet. That's the kingdom, man. You, you want to be perceived as nothing? Wash other people's feet. That's the kingdom. Store up your treasures in the invisible bank account of heaven, right? It doesn't have an app, by the way, that kind of tells you how your portfolio is performing. It's never, you're not going to see that until glory. Submit ourselves to one another. That's the nothings of the kingdom. That's lowly. That's nothing. But that foolishness, that weakness, that nothingness, these are the weapons of the kingdom. This is how God fights his battles. Hear me today. The worldviews of the world one day will be exposed as the ones that are actually foolish. As the way that the people of God live, that the world called foolishness, will be exposed to be true. There is coming a day where what the world calls strength will be exposed as brittle. And what the world always called weakness will be seen as true strength. There is coming a day where those who, who have it all, right, and lack nothing and have made that their Savior. They'll be awakened to a rude awakening. That those who are, who are not those who are blue bloods lacking nothing get the kingdom, but those who are blood-bought nothings, they get kingdom, bought with the blood of Christ. And why? Here's why. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God gets the glory. That's the pushback on our pride. That's the pushback on our arrogance. That's the pushback on our desire to prove ourselves. But it's not all angsty, There's a beautiful prize that belongs to the people of God. Because of Him, because of God the Father, you are in Christ Jesus. If you are a child of God, you're in Christ Jesus, and He is the wisdom from God. Which means you are in the wisdom of God. It is yours. You are in the righteousness of God. You are in the sanctification of God. You are in the redemption of God. Fools get these things by the grace of God. That's the message of the gospel, that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were still bums, Christ died for us. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, not a bum. The most royal bloodline in the universe, he had power to create and sustain the universe, he had. He was not weak. Wisdom to sustain the life is his. And yet he became weak, he became small, and he lived a perfect life on this earth, sinless. And he was crucified. He went to the point of death. even death on a cross. And the, the blood that came out of his hands and his feet. The Bible says that that blood washes away all of our sins. That's the message of the gospel. Jesus didn't stay dead. He was raised again to life three days later. And now he is in heaven interceding for his children. Working on our behalf so that you may continually inherit the wisdom of God. So that you might continually inherit the righteousness of God. In the eternal courtroom, one day, at your acquittal here, or at your your arraignment, you will be acquitted by the grace of God. No charges against you. Because you possess the righteousness of God through Jesus. You'll inherit the sanctification of God. That means that your righteousness is not just a future reality, but it is something that God is working in your life right now. He is making you more and more and more like Jesus. That's a good gift that he gives to bones and fools like me. You're currently being made new and you inherit the redemption of God, which means you're in a perpetual state of being set free. There are things a year ago that you struggled with, that you felt chained to, that God has set you free from, and there will be other things a year from now that He will set you free from as well. You are perpetually being set free by the grace of God. These are the good gifts that come to fools and weaklings and nobodies and bones. And he closes with the final why. Just reiterating the same point that he already made. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast. What's the point of all this For us today Well one year ago Seven of us gathered In our last space And then two FaceTimed in There were nine adults And I think we were outnumbered by children That's where we were A small group of former bums who still have a susceptibility to being bums. If you've been with us long enough, you have seen us prove time and time and time again that we still have a susceptibility to being bums. And yet, by God's grace, look at us last week. You kidding me? Look what God has done. In one year's time, and not everyone's pictured either, There's more. Look what God has done. Can I warn you of a danger, though, today? That as we grow, as this thing begins to work, and Lord willing, it will. As people begin to fill up these chairs, as budgets increase, as ministries are no longer short-staffed, but they're fully staffed. and As people begin to see what well, God is doing it at Mercy Village Church, it become less obvious on the surface level that we're former bums who still have a susceptibility to being bums. And the temptation will be for us to boast in ourselves instead of boasting in the Lord. May it never be. May it never be that we use anything that has to do with Mercy Village Church as a reason to boast in ourselves. If we boast, might we boast in the Lord? If we forget who God is and what Jesus has done because we've forgotten who we are and how desperately we need Him, then this thing will just turn into a cool social club. And I I think it can be cool. We won't have any trouble. Well, maybe not by everybody's standards, but but whatever. There'll be some folks who think it is at some point. We can do that. We'll be nothing more than a social club if we forget who God is and what He's done because we've forgotten who we are and how much we need Him. But instead, might we be a brightly shining kingdom reality? And I'm not saying we don't have reasons to boast. Man, we got a ton. (coughs) Hungry people being fed. 6:30 a.m. prayer meetings on Zoom. Community groups kicking off. Both men and women assuming leadership within the body of Christ, advising our elders, families being fed in Uganda, COVID diagnoses survived, career uncertainties and struggles endured, children discipled at home, forgiveness offered to others, bitterness released, picked back up, Released again, picked back up, released again. Aspiring church planters, encouraged, generosity both received and given. Late night work nights, that's a plural word for those of you that were part of it, you know about that. Babies born and dedicated before the Lord. The kids ministry launched. Remember Easter Sunday as the village was filled with voices singing to the resurrected Jesus. Church partnerships fostered. Marriages that are thriving and some that are still hanging on but in both cases testifying to the glory of God. Deaths of dear loved ones that have been engaged with deep pain but yet... Without losing heart. And I could go on and on and on, and it's only 12 months. All the reasons that we have to boast, and our twisted hearts are at risk of turning that into reasons to boast in ourselves, but today I'm calling us and calling myself that that list, and it could be four times longer, six times longer than that, would be reasons for us to boast. This will be our story, our boasting in the Lord. Our Savior. Is he your Savior today? John 3:16, most famous verse of all time, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus can be your Savior today. Believe on him, and you will be saved, the Bible says. The questions about what that means, there's uh, Pastor Josh myself would love the answer Love to talk to you about that And if you're a child of God specifically Mercy Village Church Today, three things I'm going to make them rhyme To celebrate the one year anniversary Stay, pray, and say Here's what I mean Stay, stay humble And stay desperate Boasting in ourselves Is kingdom suicide I'll say that again Boasting in ourselves is kingdom suicide, but boasting in the Lord is kingdom purpose. So might we stay humble and might we stay desperate? Individually or as a family, how are you practicing kingdom foolishness in your life? I could tell if you came and talked to me, many of you, I could tell you the ways. If you can't think of them, I can see it. I say that with pride in what God has done. You know how foolish it is to sit on the front row to to adopt all those foster kids? Right? It's foolish. Not going to go row by row. We don't have time. But how are you practicing self-denial that brings glory in the kingdom? How are you practicing kingdom weakness? How are you giving up your preferences to others. I've seen that happen too. It's beautiful. How are you outdoing one another and showing honor? How are you practicing kingdom lowliness? Are we storing up our treasures in heaven or are we storing up our treasures here on earth? It has nothing to do with how much money's in your bank account. It has to do with your heart towards others, towards the weak and the hurting and the broken and the need. Where are you storing up your treasures? So stay, stay humble and desperate. We'll have to live that way intentionally. And then pray, pray thy kingdom come. Stay, stay humble and desperate. Pray, pray thy kingdom come. These were all in your chairs and And and, uh, my kids probably made them into uh, paper airplanes. Some of y'all got these on Wednesday night at our prayer gathering. Uh, We're calling it Go Pray November instead of No Shave November, and that's cheesy and corny. But what I want us to do is to take these pieces of paper, stuff them in our Bible or wherever we're going to see them daily, and pray for these things on one side, church-wide prayer poems. We believe that these things that you can pray for from Mercy Village Church are rooted in the Lord's Prayer that says, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. That's what we want from Mercy Village Church. Thy kingdom come, God. So pray. That's your homework. Take that thing home and pray for the rest of this month. And then lastly, say. So stay humble and desperate. Pray, Thy kingdom come and say, All glory be to Christ. Boasting in the Lord is our kingdom purpose. Might the testament of our lives become more and more and more all glory for everything. For the way I've raised my children, all glory be to Christ. For the way our church has grown, all glory be to Christ. For the the, uh, work ethic that I've displayed at my job, all glory be to Christ. For the... uh, Generosity that I've shown to others, all glory be to Christ. May that be the message of our lives. And we have so many reasons to give glory to Jesus, the least of which is certainly not that it is His good pleasure to give His kingdom to fools. And to take those fools, you and me, and make us into richly blessed sons and God. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the story of Mercy Village Church. and Might it always be our story. May that never cease to be our story. Happy one year. Mercy Village Church. You guys are great. But God is great. And he's faithful and he's kind. That's our story. Father, thank you so much for all that you've done. Might our hearts become more and more attuned to sing your praise, to sing your grace. The way we live, the way we speak, the way we act. Might we just be more and more centered on the reality of the gospel. That we have so much <laughs> blessing, so much goodness, so much generosity from you. But it's from you. It didn't originate with us, it doesn't come from us, but still it's ours. And so might we celebrate it. Might we uh, be thankful, might we be joyful for all that we have, but may we never lose sight of who it came from, you. So might we stay humble, so might we stay desperate. Might we pray, thy kingdom come, and, and might we say with our lives, until our lives are over, all glory be to Christ. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening, and if you haven't already, we would love for you to join the work of God as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. You can learn more at our website at www.mercyvillage.church.